Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Hallelujah. But we're going to talk about today the controversy between legalism and the gospel. There's a controversy between legalism and the gospel. And really, we've seen it building in John 7 and John 8, and now finally in John 9. So we'll start with John 9, 16, and then we'll go back. This is, therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Did you know sometimes the gospel causes division? Now, when we were in John chapter 7, verse 43, it says there was a division of the, among the people because of him. In John chapter 7, the legalists did not believe in who he was. And so Jesus caused conflict, right? There was controversy between understanding who he was, the law, the, and, and legalism, right? Legalism and the gospel confronted. And then in John chapter 8, there was a conflict again. In John chapter 8, we read verse 5 through verse 7. Then they, they said, now Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned. What do you say about the woman caught in adultery? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone. If you don't have any sin, you throw the first rock. And they left from the oldest to the youngest. So there was a con controversy between what? Forgiveness and grace and legalism. There's a controversy in John chapter 7 because about him, about Jesus. Who is he? Is he really who he says he is? And now in John chapter 9, we see this controversy over the power of God in healing. In John chapter 9, we see the man who was born blind, and Jesus worked a miracle, and Jesus healed him. And do you know what? The religious people, when they first heard it, did not believe it. Do you know what? That's how religion is. If your first aspect when you hear about a miracle is not to believe, it's because you're connected more to religion. You're connected more to your senses. You're like doubting Thomas. You're connected more to what you see than the supernatural. Do you know what? I am a believer, so that I, I have a heart that I want to believe, and I'm looking for what to believe. I'm not looking to disbelieve. I am looking to believe. Now, look at this in John chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you know what? That's what legalism does. Legalism makes you sin conscious. Legalism makes you not only focus on what's wrong, it makes you focus on, you know, what's wrong about people. And if that's, if that's how you look at people, always looking for what's wrong, you'll probably find it. If you come to this church and look for what's wrong, you'll probably find some things wrong because people are here. If you come to my house and look for what's wrong, you'll probably find some things wrong because you know what? I'm a human being. Praise God. Barbara can tell you all the things that are wrong with me. Sometimes we've been married for a long time. 38 years, praise the Lord. Been married since I was 19 years old, praise God. So I've been married two-thirds of my life. Hallelujah, isn't that good? Hallelujah, and we've been very, very blessed. But she tells me sometimes, you still haven't learned. We've been married so long. Sometimes it takes a while, you know, 
to train people. Praise the Lord. So she's still working on it. Bobby Jean Merck prophesied over me one time and she said, over Barbara, and she said, you, you have sacrificed and you have given your life not to raise three boys, but to raise four. Hallelujah. So Barbara's been raising me. Praise God. She's been trying to get me to go the right direction and I'm getting most of it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But legalism always looks for what's wrong. They always look for sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what they're focused on. Who sinned? Jesus, in verse 3, said, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, this man hasn't sinned, nor his parents. You see, sometimes when there's sickness, sometimes when there's a problem, when there's difficulty, probably more than not, it's not because of someone's personal sin. Religion is always trying to point at somebody and find out what's wrong with you. Something must be wrong with you. That's why you've got this problem. You know, Barbara's mom and dad had a child in their older age, and she had physical problems. And the religious people at church said, told her mother, it must be because you've sinned. What a terrible thing to tell people. What an awful thing to make a judgment like that. That is not your judgment to make. You know, you need to keep that legalism to yourself. It doesn't produce life. It doesn't help anybody. So Jesus, Jesus said, neither one. He said, this is not a result of an individual sin. This is a result of the original sin. This is a result of Adam's sin. Did you know all sickness, all disease, all lack, all anxiety comes because of Adam's original sin in the garden? When Adam sinned in the garden, it opened the floodgates of sickness, disease, death, sorrow, lack. All these things are a result of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And so Jesus said, neither, neither this person or his parents then he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Now, what is the work of Jesus? What is the work of Jesus? Jesus came out. Barbara just quoted 1 John 3, verse 8. It says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. This is the reason that Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Did you know that sickness and disease is the work of the devil? Acts 10.38 says this, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Sickness and disease comes from the devil. In Luke chapter 13, there was a woman who had an issue of blood. She had it for 18 years, and she came to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus healed her. And they got mad because he healed her on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, should not this woman who, 
who's been oppressed by the devil, hallelujah, be set free from this bond on the Sabbath day. He said, listen, 18 years is long enough. I don't want her to be sick for one more day. Jesus assigned sickness as the work of the devil. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. Jesus said, it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and that life more abundantly. I'm here to tell you that sickness and disease come from the devil. Life and life abundantly comes from God. And it's just that evil. God, just, just that simple, excuse me. God does good and the devil does evil. God is always good. You add one O to God and you get good. Amen. You take the D off devil and you got evil. The devil is evil and God is good. All good comes from God and all evil comes from the devil. Period. See, Jesus says this in the next verse. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. You know, the Bible says this in James chapter 1, verse 17. It says in verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't turn from this. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no, no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If it is not good and it is not perfect, it could not come from God. I'm here to tell you that God is not the author of sickness. God is not the author of disease. God is not the author of death. God is not the author of lack in any form, any fashion, period. Some of you got an Old Testament mentality of God. You know, in the Old Testament, they assigned everything to God because they didn't know who the devil was and they didn't have authority over him. But at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, everything changed. And when Jesus showed up, the devil showed up, praise God. And Jesus took authority over the devil with his word. And because of what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection, it's time for us to rise up in our authority and take authority over the devil. And quit just assigning, just put, quit laying down and playing dead and let the devil run all over us. We've got authority, praise God, but we've got to rise up and take it in the name of Jesus. Praise God. So what was the work of God? See, I love something that Lester Sumrall said. He said, I hate sickness like I hate sin because it comes from the same place. Hallelujah. The same devil that brought, that caused, you know, tempted Adam and Eve in the garden is the one who brought sickness, right? And I, I'm going to add something to it. I hate poverty like I hate sickness because it comes from, and like I hate sin because it comes from the same place. Did you know if it wasn't for the fall of man in the garden, there would be no poverty. God is not the author of poverty. He's not the author of lack. He's a God of abundance. I'm here to tell you that anything God touches is blessed. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 verse 26 that God sent Jesus to bless us in turning us away from our sins. Hallelujah. And if you're born again, you're blessed. Amen. In your spirit. Now you need to notify your brain about what happened in your spirit and then start walking in the blessing of God. Start walking in what he's given you. Hallelujah. Amen. Say this with me. I'm blessed by the Father. I'm blessed by the Son. I'm blessed by the Holy Ghost. I'm blessed by the three in one. I'm blessed in my body. I'm blessed in my spirit. I'm blessed in my mind. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. 
out. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed everywhere. I'm blessed in my refrigerator and in my bank account. Glory to God. I'm blessed in Jesus' name. My children are blessed. Amen. All the works of my hands are blessed. I'm blessed in my business in Jesus' name. Everything I touch prospers. I'm blessed by the Lord, the possessor of heaven and earth. I am blessed. Do you know that's a covenant? Those are covenant. I'm just quoting the word to you. I'm not saying anything but the word, but that's the covenant. We have a covenant of blessing in Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is cursed, before it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and verse 14. So what are the works of Jesus? The works of Jesus are to destroy the works of the devil. The work of the devil is sickness. The work of the devil is disease. The work of the devil is the curse. The work of the devil is lack. Amen. Do you know if you study the blessing and the curse? Let's just talk about it for a minute. If you study in Deuteronomy 28, the blessing and the curse. The first 14 verses are blessing. The last 54 verses are curses. But I read the curses as well as I read the blessing. Now I just quoted a bunch of the blessings to you. Amen. But I read the curses. And when I read the curses, I find out that I'm redeemed from weakness of heart. I'm redeemed from weak knees. I'm redeemed from the itch and the botch and the scab. Praise God. And I'm redeemed from everything every sickness and disease that's not written in the book. Besides that, I'm redeemed from emeralds. Emeralds are tumors. I'm redeemed from cancer in the name of Jesus. I find out the Bible says that I'm redeemed. Did you know what? Sickness is included in the curse. Every sickness and every disease, not only those written in the book, everyone not written in the book is included in the curse. So I'm redeemed from the curse. Amen of sickness. Not only is sickness part of the curse, poverty is part of the curse. If you read the curse of the law, God said, I, you know, it's going to rain dirt on you. It's going to blow. The wind's, the, the, the rain's not going to come. It, the wind's going to blow until you go broke and you're sick and you're poor and you become a slave and you die. I mean, you read the curse. It's violent. Amen. And you know what? I find out I'm redeemed from the curse. So not only am I redeemed from sickness, I'm redeemed from poverty. That's part of the curse. I'm redeemed from poverty. I don't, I don't lay claim to poverty. I, this is not a poor man. Come on. Hallelujah. I'm a blessed man. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm redeemed from poverty. I found out that I started believing and it's working in my life. I have opportunity every once in a while for it to go the other way, but I keep believing, amen, that I'm blessed and I keep walking in it. Amen. Hallelujah. I found out that I'm a healed man and I keep walking that out. I have opportunity. I've had a few opportunities since I found that out to die, but I passed them up. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I'm not a slave. Do you know what he said? You'll be sick and you'll be poor until you become a slave and then you'll die. That's the curse of the law. Sickness, poverty, slavery, and death. Jesus came. He was crucified. He took the curse. Galatians 3.13. So that you can be blessed. So sickness, poverty, slavery to sin. Right? He freed us from slavery. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And you got authority. You don't have to sin. Glory to God. And not only that, death. 
spiritual death that's being dealt with at the cross. But when Jesus comes again, he's going to put the last enemy under his feet of physical death. So he redeemed us from the, the curse, and that's what the curse includes. Now, let's go on and read just a little bit farther. Not only that, what did Jesus do when he walked on the earth? Well, if you read Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to verse 25, and Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, you'll find that Jesus went about, what did it, what it say? He went preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching in their synagogues and healing every sickness and every disease among the people and every what every kind of sickness and every kind not only did he heal every kind of sickness he healed every sickness and every disease among the people he healed them every one they brought him 14 times it says in the new testament and they brought him all the sick people and he healed them every one in fact, how many times did you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read and see that Jesus put sickness on anyone? You don't find any, do you? Now, we just studied last week. We concluded our message in John chapter 8 with this. Jesus is the full and the final revelation of God. Colossians 1.15 says he's the visible image of the invisible God. He's the visible representation of the invisible God. And Jesus never put sickness on anyone while he walked on the earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why are you so crazy to think he's putting sickness on people now? Who sinned? Who sinned? Turn that. You know, you turn that thing around and use it on yourself. You quit using it so much. You're a legalistic mess. Now, after he'd done this, he spat, he spat on the ground. and He made clay of the spit. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation is sent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Now, some people said that Jesus' spit was anointed. You know what? I don't believe his spit was any more anointed than my spit's anointed. <laughs> you know, when Jesus was on the cross and they cursed him, they spit on him. And you see a few times that Jesus spit. There was a blind man, and right here, he spit and made mud, put it on his eye, right? There was a deaf man, and he spit, put it in his ears. There was a dumb man, and he spit and touched his tongue. You know what Jesus was doing? To spit on something was to curse. He said, this is cursed. He was cursing the sickness. Amen? I've had a lot of success praying for people with cancer. Now, not every person that I prayed for with cancer has been healed. I wish I could say that. But I've had a lot of success in praying for people with cancer, and I've seen a lot of people with cancer healed. And when I pray for people with cancer, usually I curse the cancer. I'm not cursing them. And I tell them, listen, I'm not cursing you, but this, this cancer is a curse. And it comes from the devil. Deuteronomy 27, 28, 27 lists emeralds or tumors as part of the curse. And I curse the cancer. And I command it to go into remission. And then I, I pray for them as a believer and I say the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. Brings life and health and strength to your mortal body. Amen. So I curse the cancer and then I loose the life of God. Did you know if your body is working right, your body will heal itself. Your body is made to heal itself. Hallelujah. 
So that, that's one thing that I do, and that's one way that I pray. And, and so, you know what? When Jesus spit and made mud and put it on this guy's what he was doing was cursing the blindness. And then he said, you go to the pool of Siloam and you wash. And he went and washed and he came again seeing. Hallelujah. Now, this person, this was the working of a miracle. And the definition of a working of a miracle, it's one of the nine manifestations of the Spirit that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 10. By the way, if you're born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have at least one of the nine manifestations of the Spirit working in you as a born-again believer that's baptized in the Holy Ghost. But you shouldn't just have one. You could move into more. It says he'll give sev he gives to every man severally as he will in verse 11. But these nine manifestations of the Spirit... The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits, the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. They are special operations of the Holy Spirit. And the working of miracles, that's what Jesus did here, is defined as when God works through a person or an instrument to perform a supernatural act in an instant. Jesus spit and made money. But look at this. Even when Jesus was operating in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it took some personal faith on the part of him who received to receive that miracle. Many times in the working of miracles, we just had a recent one here, it takes, it takes faith on the part of the person who receives that miracle. And I found with people that are going a certain direction in their faith, it's easier to get them to receive even when the manifestations of the Spirit are in operation because the Spirit's already working and already going that way because of what they're believing. So faith in, see, you can, you can take faith in God, just regular faith, without the working of miracles. You can take faith in God, get people healed, right? But they have to have personal faith because we've got a covenant. And Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose again, in the covenant provided forgiveness for your sin, healing for your body, peace for your mind, and prosperity for your poverty. Four things that are included in the covenant. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5 2 Corinthians chapter 8 9 shows you the promise of the covenant. So what I teach you primarily in this church is how to walk in faith and believe the promises of God 365, 24-7 and get them to operating. Now when you get in an atmosphere where the Holy Ghost is moving and you're believing God, you put yourself in a place where the Spirit can flow and those gifts can operate. But we don't turn the gifts on or we don't turn the gifts off. The gifts operate as God wills as the Holy Spirit. They're given by the Holy Spirit and they operate by the Holy Spirit. You can't make it happen, baby. Even Andrew Womack. Andrew Womack's raised a few people from the dead. Barbara raised one person from the dead. I prayed for one person the other day that quit breathing and their heart wasn't beating. And then they, their heart started beating and they started breathing. Okay, Carly prayed for a little baby a couple of years ago, that two years ago, that had died. They brought it to a meeting. They put it in Carly's arms. She prayed for it. The baby came back to life. Okay, so we've, we've seen a few people raised from the dead around here. Okay, but in the, Andrew Womack actually says this, and Andrew Womack teaches you primarily 
on the, the blessing of the covenant because he wants you to know about faith in God that works 365, 24-7. But with the working of miracles, right, he says this. He says, like when he's prayed for people that have been raised from the dead, either it's there or it's not there. And if it's not there, you're not going to make it happen. You can't do that in your own strength, in your own power. That has to be an, that's an operation of the Holy Ghost. That would agree with what Dr. Lester Sumrall, Oral Roberts, and Kenneth E. Hagin, right, all said about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the working of miracles, raising people from the dead. They said in raising people from the dead, there has to be two gifts operational, which are the working of miracles and the gift of faith. And if those gifts aren't operational, you're not going to raise somebody from the dead. Okay? So even Andrew Womack, who doesn't focus a lot on the gifts of the Spirit, because he wants you to know how to operate in the blessing of the covenant, 365, 24-7, will tell you, in some cases, if there's not an operation of the Spirit, if it's not there, it ain't going to happen. Because that's not just your simple faith, that's an operation of the Spirit. And those gifts operate, they're given by the Spirit as He wills. And they operate as He wills. You don't just turn them on or turn them off. Otherwise, somebody, you know, and there's more than one gift of healing. If, if that wasn't so, then somebody who would operate in certain gifts, they could just, every person they'd pray for in certain areas would be healed. Now, some people have had really good success in certain areas because they have a certain level of that operation. But at the same, same point in time, and I know there's certain areas where I operate in certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. So say if somebody comes up here and they ask for prayer in, in five things, right? And one of the five, I know that I operate in a gift of healings, for instance, in that area. I won't tell them, but I'll pray for that thing first. Because I know, because I'm oper I've operated in a gift of the Spirit in that realm, I know that when I pray for that specific area, I have more success in getting victory. So I'll pray for that first, and then they, they receive in that area. Then, wow, then they begin to exert faith in these other areas, and we get them healed in several areas. Does that make sense? So I understand there's operation of the Spirit, and this was an operation when Jesus healed this man of a working of miracles. He was born blind, and now he was seeing. So the neighbors, therefore, in verse 8, as they were watching this, saw him that had been blind, and they said, isn't this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he looks like him. But he said, I'm he. Therefore, they said, how were your eyes open? He said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, go wash inside the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed. See, he operated in a personal faith and I received sight. Then they said unto him, where is he? He said, I don't know. So they brought him to the Pharisees that, that was aforetime blind. And it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay on my eyes and washed, I went and washed and see. They said, then said some of the Pharisees, this man's not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that's a sinner do miracles like this? And there was a division among them. Again, sometimes the gospel comes into confrontation with legalism and there's division. Then they said to the blind man, what do you say of him that opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe concerning him. See, they, they naturally went the unbelief route. That had been blind and they received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them. And they said, is this your son who you say was born blind? 
How does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. He's old enough. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. These words spoke his parents because they feared the Jews. Legalism causes fear. We saw that, right? In Galatians chapter 2. Fear of man, withdrawal, separation, division is all a cause of legalism. All caused by legalism. So... It caused fear. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he would be, that he is the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. You know, the Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare. But he who puts his trust in the Lord shall be saved. That's Proverbs 29, 25. They feared the legalistic people because they would be separated. In other words, they would rather be with their old religious friends than see the power of God flow. They were more concerned about their old religious friends than they were their own sons healing from blindness. Then for his parents said again, he's of age, ask him. So they called the man again that was blind, verse 24, and said to him, give God the praise. We know this man's a sinner, talking about Jesus. The blind man said, former blind man, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. <laughs> you know, I don't know. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I've told you already. Didn't you hear? You want me to tell you again? What's wrong with you hard-headed people? You know, religion makes people hard-headed, hard-hearted. Will you be his disciples? And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he is. And the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not where he came from, and yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if this man be a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, listen to this. This man just got in, listen to him preach. It was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Then they answered and said unto him, You were altogether born in sin, and do you teach us? <laughs> and they threw him out. Well, they were all born in sin. Right. Now, look at this. Look at, look at what happened. Number one, these people were more concerned about their religion than their relationship with God. Right? The parents were more concerned about their relationship in the religious church than their relationship with Jesus, right? The parents were more afraid of the religious leaders than they respected God. So do you want religion or relationship? Do you want fear or faith? See, they had a fear of man. This young man that got healed had faith in God. Do you know faith in God will change your life? Amen. Amen. James chapter 1 says this in verse 5 through verse 8, and I'm going to read it really quickly. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids him not, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he who wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the man, driven with the wind and toss. When this man put faith in Jesus, he kept his faith in Jesus. When he confessed the lordship of Jesus, 
Amen. He, he held on to his faith, his confession of Jesus as Lord. He did not back down. He did not waver. He did not go, go another way. When they questioned him, you know, when, when, when they tried him, he says, if you're going to ask in faith, don't waver. For he that wavers like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and toss. For let not that man think that he will receive anything of the Lord. you got to make a decision. I'm going to believe God and I'm going to stand and I'm not going to turn around. I'm not going back. Amen. And a double-minded man. He says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. This man was not double-minded. He held on to the truth. Then they answered him, verse 34, John 9, verse 34. You are altogether born in sins. Do you teach us? And they cast him out. Now here again, here's the works of religion. They threw him out. See, his parents were accepted by the religious leaders, but they were rejected, right? In the realm of faith. This man was accepted by Jesus, but he was rejected Right? Accepted by Jesus, but rejected by the religious leaders. They cast him out. Do you know the Bible actually talks about this in Galatians chapter 4? We're talking about the law and grace. We're talking about the confrontation between legalism and the gospel. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 29, it says, He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Do you know, legalistic people are always pointing out somebody else's faults. You got to get over pointing out everybody else's faults and start looking at what's right rather than what's wrong. If, if you're just looking at what's wrong all the time, you'll find it because everybody's got faults. But you got to start looking for what's right. Now, if you read Galatians chapter 4, verse 22 to verse 31, it's comparing. It's a type of the law and the gospel, right? It's a type of grace and legalism. And he's comparing the two sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac. It says this in verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave girl, the other by a free woman. One by Hagar, one by Sarah. Did you know Hagar was never God's idea? Hagar was Abraham and Sarah trying to help God accomplish something. How many of you ever done that? I lift both of my hands because I've done it more than once, okay? We hear the promises of God, and then we go on our own street that we try to accomplish something. And at the end, you can tell it was us, and it wasn't Jesus. At the end, they could tell this. But he that was born of the slave girl was born after the flesh. But he that was of the free woman was by promise. Which things are a, a type, a shadow, an allegory. For these are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, the law, which genders to bondage, which is Hagar. See? The law produces slavery. Grace produces freedom. The gospel produces freedom. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which answers to Jerusalem, which is now, and is, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. In other words, the gospel, grace, leads to dominion, right? The law, legalism, leads to apathy. Jerusalem, which is above all, is the mother of Saul. The gospel of grace is the mother of us all. You got saved by grace. Amen? He goes on and says this in verse 27. For it's, it's written, rejoice you barren that bear not. Speaking of Sarah, break forth and cry, you that travail not. 
For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So you've got slavery or freedom. You've got apathy or dominion. You've got law or you've got promise. But then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now. We see this happen. Right? You've got the... You've got the flesh and you've got the spirit. And many times people that are legalistic will persecute people that are operating in the spirit. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Throw out the bondwoman with her son. Go, get away from legalism. For the son of the slave girl will not be heir with the son of the free woman. It's not, it's not Jesus plus you. It's not Jesus plus your performance. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's the gospel that frees you. He says, so then, brethren, we are children of the bondwoman, not children of the bondwoman, of the slave girl, of the law, but of the free. In other words, the law brought persecution, but the gospel brings acceptance. So in this case, when we go back to John chapter 9... Right? The Pharisees were going to persecute the parents so they rejected Jesus or their confession of Jesus so that they could stay in the synagogue so they could keep their religion. Right? With this man, right? They, they rejected, the Pharisees rejected the healing and ultimately cast him out, but he rejected them that he might be accepted by Jesus. Amen? Now, I'd rather be accepted by Jesus and rejected by the world or accepted by Jesus and rejected by religion or accepted by Jesus and rejected by my friends than I would to be accepted by the world, my friends, and religion and rejected by Jesus. So what did this ultimately bring about? Let's read verse 35 to 41, John chapter 9. Jesus heard... That they cast him out, and when he found him, he said unto him, Do you believe the Son of God? Do you believe? What was the, what was the higher purpose? You see, there was a purpose in Jesus healing the man. Why? Because Jesus loves humanity. Jesus wants to save humanity, heal humanity, free humanity, bless humanity. That's Jesus' purpose. That's the gospel. But there's a greater purpose of this miracle, and you can see this all through the book of John. And Jesus asked him, do you believe? And he says, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said, you've seen him, and it's him who talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This man believed Jesus. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that they who see, might, they who see not might see. This man was blind, now he saw. And they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees were with him, heard these words, and they said, are we blind also? Now listen to this. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Jesus said, ultimately, you are responsible for what you know. So the end of this thing ultimately was this. This, this miracle caused a division, caused a separation. And it caused those who believe really to believe. And it caused those who did not believe, right, to, to go the other way. 
And the scripture actually says this in John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, whoever, well, I have to go there. John 3, 36. He that believes the Son, right? I'll read it. Has everlasting life. But he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So Jesus just showed to these people, right? The man believed him and not only received his sight, but he received eternal life, right? And he showed to the Pharisees that they rejected ultimately Jesus. And in re rejecting Jesus, they received judgment, right? He that believes the Son has life. He that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus said, hey, for judgment I came, right? And here's the deal. You either have believed and received, or you have rejected. And it's your choice. It's your choice. Amen. Now, you know, when we stand before God, it's going to be just like this. There's going to be no excuse. There's going to be people, people who've believed and received, and there's going to be people who've rejected and there's going to be, basically, Jesus didn't leave him any room for excuse. He says the law was given that every mouth might be stopped. Right? In other words, there are no excuses. And when we stand before God, it's either you have believed, you have confessed, you have accepted, you have received, or you have not believed, you have not confessed, you have not received, and you've been rejected. But it's your choice. They're making that choice. And Jesus made it very plain to them that, hey, this is not my choice, but this is your choice. And the choice that you make determines what the results that you receive. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.